Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, each and every week. And uh, man, I, I'm a little sleepy this morning, just a little bit. Were you up late watching election returns? <laughs> I, was. I was. So there's really kind of two things that'll keep me up at night to, to stay tuned to the TV. And it's f- for sure like a football game. Like I'll stay up to watch all the way down to the final snap, you know, because I'm I'm just obsessed with football and and election results. <laughs> like I'm intrigued uh, by everything that's happening and obviously current events and how it affects the nation, et cetera, et cetera. So so yeah, I caught myself getting sucked into all the details and chasing all the different story leads from uh, from the election yesterday. You know, results aren't entirely in, but there's just there's enough results in to kind of paint a picture. And the picture that's been painted isn't uh, it isn't as red as maybe we thought it would be, Um, especially coming off of a couple of years of uh, the pandemic era and all the things that our country experienced. It felt as if there would be this giant pendulum swing um, back towards, you know, conservatism Liberty, freedom. Yeah, I think that when I – the two things that I'm like pondering right now uh, on November 9th, 2022 is, A, it seems like there are more people in our country that want to kill babies than I thought. And two, that they're – either they're not as angry – about what these policies have done to our country, or they have—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind. We've already forgotten, moved on. Yeah, and maybe haven't even connected the dots. That man, I don't know. Perhaps the reason that your economy is in the toilet um, is because of uh, some of these policies. Like maybe the, the, the dots. Are, I don't know. I just, I, I've, I've historically been a pretty much a one-issue voter when it comes to choosing life, and I've tied for first place now. Is did you shut our country down? And and maybe, you know, I don't know, there's a third thing that I've been processing that maybe I shouldn't say out loud. But, you know, look, there were just as many Republicans as there were Democrats. And Republicans corrected quicker. But short of DeSantis and Abbott in Texas. And, and you know, give credit to Lee. It, it took him, you know, it was maybe a little bit longer to hear. But, but still, it was – there were Republicans that still – that did two weeks to flatten the curve and stuck with it for months longer. So there wasn't a there wasn't a lot of compelling reason to say, yeah, I want to change it. If, if you're if you're voting for just pandemic policies, uh, which is why I mean, I look at what happened with DeSantis and think, you know, that that guy just based on that alone. Um, I mean, I almost got a little teary eyed watching his speech, man. <laughs> I stand up and salute this guy. Yeah. You know, because I remember I'm old enough to remember May of 2020 when they were writing headlines about you know experiments in human sacrifice and crazy stuff. So I, who knows exactly, but I I will say this: the the one thing that the United States is right now and has been for most of my adult life is almost a 50-50 split of Republican versus Democrat. It's uh, it's eerie. 
when you go national, how how close it is. Yeah. When you're talking 100 million votes, right, and in a presidential election, and it's just a million votes that separate them, that's a 1% split between it and – and, and I, that 1% that could go either way, like I, I, I'm, I'm sure political pundits and consultants are all still trying to figure out. They've been trying to figure out that since the 90s and the 80s. And it seems like that's the – when you look right now, like the exit polls um, coming out, as, as of this morning, it was uh, 46% voted Republican, uh, 44% uh, Democrat as, as best I can tell. So it's – you know, and, and those will those will tighten up and change as more of these votes are counted. But it's by the end of the day, it'll probably it'll probably be right at fifty fifty. Yeah, and it's that one percent that that made the decisions. And you know, we we rest in the sovereignty of God. You know, He has designs and plans, you know, throughout eternity that are that are here, so we don't have to um, be angry or angsty or. But I think it's okay to be fascinated still. Like I'm sure. like, this is yeah. a really interesting world we woke up in. Yeah, I think one of the fascinating things that we'll see if it plays out is if the if the Senate gets a majority um, GOP, if the U if the House gets a majority GOP with a um, Democratic president, the, it's going to cause all kinds of gridlock, right? Um, and so, so I think that's the big picture thing that everybody's kind of waiting to see how the dust settles on this, um, to see if this, if the GOP, if the Republican Party has a majority in the Senate and the House with a Democratic president, and you know what that means for the next couple of years. So, I think everybody's kind of holding out for that. The thing that is befuddling to me is how some states can count. I'm all for state rights. Freedom, all that. But how is it that, you know, Texas, which is infinitely larger and more complex than Pennsylvania or Arizona, how, how come they can count their votes so quickly and these other states can't? The only place, like, I'm used to elections taking a, a few days or weeks to figure out in third world countries. Like, that's normal yeah. in a developing nation. The fact that it's taking that long here. Is inexcusable. Yeah, it's l- literally bureaucratic, unelected officials making decisions that are costing the rest of the nation to sit on pins and needles. I remember when Texas sued Pennsylvania for taking so long. Yeah, because that's basically the, the 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 basis of the lawsuit is, hey, you guys, you're being idiots, and you're literally affecting our state because you can't. Yeah, do you're this holding the thing. country uh, hostage. Yeah. There's this episode of uh, Seinfeld. I know everything goes back to Seinfeld with me, uh, where he's standing at a car reservation and they don't have the car. Oh yeah, that's a great that? one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, I, you know, but that's why you have the reservations. I know why we have the reservations. You can take the reservations, but I need you to hold, hold the reservations. That's the most important part. <laughs> and that's kind of like I need you to count the votes. Anybody can take votes. Right. I'll count take them. them. Just take, I need someone to you have counting them is what matters. And you know, I feel like we've got yeah, the equivalent of like uh, uh, car rental places up there counting votes in Pennsylvania. Well, kind of along these lines, and this came up a little bit in the line I was standing in uh, yesterday, which was longer than anticipated, which was encouraging to see that kind of a turnout, you know, an hour and a half standing in line, uh, which is 
a, a small price to pay for, for freedom to vote, right? Right. I heard someone say yesterday, when you think about two weeks to flatten the curve, an hour to vote really doesn't that much to, <laughs> to pay. But somebody was asking, like, why do we still have to go in person to a place to do this? Like, there's, you know, with all the technology we have today. In the future, if we still do have the freedom to vote um, in a uh, constitutional republic, in a democracy, um, blockchain is going to play into this, right? Like our, our digital ID will somehow eventually tie into the blockchain to where we will be able to vote safely and securely and instantly. Um, but there will be some freedoms to give up for that kind of convenience as well. Eventually, we're going to get there to a voting process oh, based on a blockchain wow. scenario. That's will, will I sign up for that? Right. I mean, again, yeah, I mean, that's part of the digital ID. I mean, I think Canada's starting to dip into this a little bit. We've talked about this. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, interesting. As of now, full 12 hours after most of these have closed, there are, I think, Arizona still. Um, Georgia. And Georgia. Got your peaches down in Georgia, but you did not get your uh, your Republican apparently. So Georgia and and, and like if, if I think this is I think I'm right. Like if Masters seems like she has got the best option in in Arizona, Masters can pull it off. It, it puts the Senate in a place to at least stop some of the ideologies that. Uh, and and I don't think anybody honestly, if, if anybody's listening to our podcast now that that that's. Uh, thinks that we're too Republican or too whatever, I'm, I'd be shocked. But just in case, you know, we're not talking Republican versus Democrat because one is Jesus's party and the other is not. We're saying that when it comes to gender ideology, when it comes to life, when you know, there just there are certain things that if, that if you hold dear right now, that that checks the most boxes. And because I'm also old enough to remember when the Republicans won in the Bush era and the Bush era was... Uh, you know, we're going to cut back government. We're going to cut spending. We're going to, and he spent like a Democrat for like eight years, right? So we ended up with more debt, not less. So it's, I'm fully aware of one or the other. But what I would love right now is for somebody to be able to stop, you know, uh, any sort of congressional thing that would, literally, right now they, they meaning the Democratic Party, feel like they have a mandate to legalize abortion. Uh, on a national basis. That was the, the Roe v. Wade thing was not good law. It wasn't a law at all. It was just, it was, it was just, uh, with it gone, if they have control of the Senate, the chances of there being a nationalized and who knows up to birth for abortion, because that's what California just did. That's a, that's a big deal that this, this one or two senators that you know that this this matters on behalf of the lives of literally millions of children. So this is not hyperbolic. I heard Andy Stanley a little bit on an interview with Annie F. Downs yesterday, and Andy uh, was saying that Jesus stayed in two lanes. He didn't. He only talked about when people harmed other people. And, uh, and, and then, so he would talk, he'd speak up on behalf of the people that were being harmed. And then he would comfort those who were been harmed. Those are the two lanes that Jesus was in. And those are the two lanes that we should be in. And I'm probably oversimplifying it, but that was the quote. Um, and the idea being that, you know, speaking about public policy, this was his point that the church shouldn't, that's not our lane. We shouldn't be speaking about public policy. 
And I didn't hear one mention of the idea that 55 million children being murdered is uh, harming someone. So is that public policy or is that speaking up, you know, uh, for me, this is the, a no-brainer. Like, just that issue alone is a no-brainer that we have to. I couldn't look myself in the mirror. How can I respect myself, right, to not speak up on behalf of murdered children? So God bless Andy Stanley. He's a smart guy, does a lot, but I just I couldn't. I vehemently disagree with that ideology. That's good. It's true. And it matters, which was the title of your Sunday teaching. <laughs> and by the way, Annie of Downs is a sweet and wonderful human being and no disrespect to Annie. Not that she would ever hear this, but you know, sure. We love She's Annie conducting an interview and yeah. promoting a book and yeah. Yeah. Matter of mercy, matter of rest, matter of hope, all from Sunday's teaching, John chapter five, the man by the pool of Bethesda who laid his mat down and waited 38 years to, to dip his toe in the pool and hope for healing. That was the teaching on Sunday. Mm. Um, what was the most uncomfortable place you've ever slept? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I definitely have a few come to mind mm -hmm. from being on the road you're and talking, being a youth pastor. You're talking physically uncomfortable because of the... Yeah, yeah like just... Okay, because I, I have to narrow that down. Sleeping on the ground in West Africa was uncomfortable, but also because of black mambas. Like that, there was, a, <laughs> there was no air conditioning, no breeze. You're in a concrete box on a, on a mattress. I, I wouldn't say a mattress. It was like someone had taken all the extra like cutlery out of the, the kitchen and put it inside of a bag and you're sleeping on that. <laughs> and just about 3 a.m. or so, so you at least had a ceiling fan-ish, but then the electricity would go off. And then you're just laying there and yeah, you, know, you, know, you know me, like I'll do some sweating and a little sauna, a little sauna. And it just, just lay there staring at the ceiling, dripping with the water. Clears the pores. Just, oh yeah, it was, I'm sure there was some uh, exfoliation and emolliation. <laughs> I don't even know what happens in the sauna, but you know, I mean, it would get to up to 100, 105 degrees inside those things. Yeah, that's rough. And yeah, I just, I, I remember one time being on the road and I can't remember I don't remember who it was with or where we were at, but I was the odd man out and uh, of a bed. And so I took up residence for the night in the bathtub. You ever slept in a bathtub before? Believe it or not, I have. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a road trick. It's, you, you, you put some... <laughs> you put some <laughs> I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't done that in so long. Yeah. You, you put some blankets and, and such in, in the bathtub and in a pillow and... Are you talking about a hotel bathroom? Yeah. So those bathtubs are like starter kit bathtubs. Mm -hmm. They're not very long, and you're long. Yeah, I mean, it was rough. It was a rough night, but at least <laughs> could spread out a little bit. You have yeah. some privacy, I guess, but yeah, that's, that's yeah. not good. So this guy, yeah, he's sleeping on a mat. We don't know his name, so maybe we can call him Matt. Let's just call him Matt. That you seems know, appropriate. Um, has born paralyzed. We know, actually, let me rephrase that. We don't know that he was born paralyzed. In fact, I feel like if he were the Bible would have would have addressed that. Um, like with the guy, uh, I think just two chapters, well, it's four chapters from now, we're going to come across a blind guy, and they very specifically say he was born blind. Um, either way, to be paralyzed, at least from the waist down, in that culture, in that time, 
is unbelievably uh, uncomfortable and cruel because there's no wheelchairs. There's no ADA. There's no one of the villages we work in in Africa. We came across a family and there's a little boy there that has been paralyzed from his waist down. And so his life is literally sitting on a mat all day long. And, you know, we, we were able to get them a wheelchair. But when it's, you know, think about pushing a wheelchair through a pasture. You can do it. But at least he had that. This guy wouldn't have had anything. He's just literally laying on this mat. But the the fact that he chose to lay it by this pool, um, something we talked about that is that this wasn't like a Jewish place. This was a pagan healing place. Roman? Uh, yeah, Greco-Roman. So uh, from the Greek, yeah, Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to say that it was Crete. Uh, Michael Easley would actually know this. Um, but but there was a, it was a healing cult that was started around a god named Asclepius. And Asclepius was this, in this mythology is the son of Apollo. If I remember right, he had a mortal uh, in the story. It was a mortal mom. But he becomes immortal and he's the god of medicine. And so there's this literal cult that is formed around this guy, this god uh, of healing things. And so the mythology was that uh, if you laid by the pool long enough that uh, the, sometimes the serpents would come and whisper healing information to you about how to heal yourself. And so he's there uh, because he's hoping and putting his putting his mat, so to speak, by this as his hope, which was, I, I don't want to say it was their version of medical science, but they wouldn't have thought of it like you or I think of this as like witchcraft or voodoo or nutty, you know, uh, triangles or, you know, hippie stuff. You know, they would have genuinely thought of this as an option for medical treatment. Yeah, it's not that far-fetched, really. I mean, there's a place, what, not far from here, um, probably 20 miles from here, Called Prim Springs, Tennessee. Yeah, in the and there was a uh, in the 1800s. There's a a lodge, a house that people would come to from all over the southeast and partake in the springs of this this uh, um, these freshwater springs that were full of minerals with healing properties. And you know, so it's and that's only 100 years ago. Yeah, and, and literally healing properties because like know, legitimate so, minerals. Yeah. you know that that are in our you know, in our soils that if, you know, if you partake in a certain way, like things that are natural to us, right, yeah. that, that that do bring health and restoration and stuff like that. But but they don't heal cancer right. or they don't heal. And that's when the snake oil stuff starts, right, uh-huh. which is that you end up with these uh, overpromise ideologies, you know, because it's true. Like in those days, if you had tuberculosis or a breathing disorder, people would move to Arizona I mean, literally, the entire premise of Tombstone is that Doc Holliday has moved to, to uh, Southern United States because you can you can breathe better there. Uh, there, there are, that, that is a true thing. So, that, but then they take it a mile, you know, miles away from that with making all these promises and including that the idea that a guy that is paralyzed, you know, uh, that the imagery of a so the thing that's that struck, that's really stuck out to me was that they call this the pool of mercy. Bethesda means house of mercy. And so the idea that it was that he was going to be there uh, to get mercy 
and the irony is that that's why I said a matter of mercy. This was the most merciless thing you could think of, which is that I'm going to lay here for 38 years trying to get healed. That's merciless. Somebody just tell them the truth. That's not going to happen here. So he's laying there hoping for mercy. He's put his mat next to something that couldn't couldn't uh, deliver the promises that, it, that, that, that he was hoping for. And day after month after decade, or the, you know, the, the blind, uh, the beggars, the, 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 were, they would sit outside the temple. That was there. They put their mat there. Some people would put their mat, you know, because I can beg for money here or whatever. But he's put his mat here, which means that's what he's put his hope in. And he's put, it's a false hope, man. And a false hope, that's the whole thing from Shawshank Redemption, man, is that, you know, hope is dangerous. But it's only dangerous if it's a false hope because then you are hoping in something that is completely not going to come through for you. And the cruelty of that, it's so merciless. And, you know, here he'd put his hope in that very, very thing. Yeah, I mean, putting our hope in things, um, we're guilty of that, putting our hope in things that, that that are a false hope. I mean, look at our country right now, right? I mean, this is election time and candidates and the look to the future of the next two years of a presidential election and how many of us, how many people put their mat next to a politician or to a policy or, or to a party line um, in the hopes that it will bring... Uh, more peace to their lives, mm-hmm. financial peace, um, uh, morality, um, you know, less crime, more safety in their communities, all of these different talking points. And people just set up shop and live there. Yeah. I mean, if you woke up this morning and you're just like despondent, upset, scared, whatever the language is, I'm not saying you did, but maybe you've got your mat by a pool of politics, that you've put your mat there. The the tension that we feel is that it's not, it wasn't bad for this guy to be where he was. It was bad for him to put his hope in where he was. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I'm guessing honestly that, you know, uh, a pool, you know, of of nice water and you're, you're, you know, paralyzed, whatever, like it's not a bad place to, to, you know, to be, but for you to put literally your whole hope in it. Uh, it's it's just not a good night's sleep. It's not restful at all. And politics, you know, the tension is, yes, we have a vote. We, we live in a constitutional, like a, a republic. Like we live in a place that we get a vote. We get, a, we get a voice. But we can't put our mat beside it because, you know, 38 years, I, I, you know, I'm uh, 51, so I've been voting not 38 years, but 32 years. And I've seen it over and over again. You know, the, the, this side wins or that side wins. And, you know, the, 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 the hope, if your mat is beside it and trying to get rest from it, it's just not a good night's sleep. Um, and maybe my mat's beside it. Maybe that's why I woke up at 3 a.m. and I was checking <laughs> results. I don't know. Maybe I put my mat there and I need to pick it up. Uh, part of your mat's kind of laying over there by it, maybe. Um it, it reminds me of – there's a few things that remind me of the John 3 teaching uh, with Nicodemus. And uh, the, I use that story, there's no hope in the Pope, right? Yeah. The sign story. Such an excellent, excellent memory for you. Which we've talked about. Um, and so we put our – we can be guilty of putting our hope in religion 
Um, and you touched on that a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, he. It's actually hilarious when you think about it that he is healed by Jesus. Doesn't even know who Jesus is at this point because Jesus just you know punk rock just disappears into the crowd, and he runs into these Pharisees and he's holding his mat in his hand. And the first thing they tell him to do is put it back down again. Because it's the Sabbath. It's the <laughs> Sabbath day. You're violating the Sabbath. And so the, the irony of all ironies, the, the, you know, giving this gift of rest, and now I want you to work for your rest. Like you got to put it back down. So it's the, the idea is that in, in Christianity that we're saved by grace, not by works. So grace is the whole thing. Like religion just says, hey, you're saved. Now put your mat down here and get back to work again. You know, you, you're saved by grace, but you stay saved by being good enough with it. And that's the Pharisees all day long. They want, they want him to put his rest in, in religion, in rules, regulations, policies, procedures, nuances. And in our modern context, I, you know, and I would say in Middle Tennessee especially, we're more, far more likely to find people that have found their, put their mat, so to speak, in, I go to church, I, I'm there every Sunday, I'm, you know, all, all good things. The Sabbath is good. I, it's true. The Ten Commandments, nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. When, when I hear people talk about the law, the law of this, the law of that, I'm like, which one did you not want? Was it the adultery one? Was that the one that you don't want that one? Or is it the murder? Do you, like, which one did you technically have a problem with? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that you're not going to get saved by it. And so to be saved by grace, fully understanding this guy, and this is about as grace of a thing as you've ever seen. Jesus walks into this area that is full of sick people, looks at this guy, chooses him, heals him. I mean, what's the, what's the only response to that, right? Worship and like... I, I didn't deserve any of this. Like that—that's the the idea here. That he has saved us in that same way. So the not murdering, the not uh, adultering—it's not a burden. There's actually an enormous amount of rest in. And anybody, by the way, that's had any—I've sat down across the table from people that have—they're in adulterous relationships. There is no rest in that. None. A lot of sleepless nights. Uh, a lot of frustrations with the, when the decisions they've made. So it's not that the law is wrong. It's just that if you put your mat there, that if I keep this and f f keep it perfectly, then I'm going to get life. Because I know the score now. I, I keep this one, this one, this one. I know the score. And the problem is, is with, uh, when it comes to the law, the score is always you lose because you will never be able to keep it perfectly. I just love that Jesus was so punk rock enough to, to pull this stunt off on the Sabbath. <laughs> it's just yes. like... He's just sticking it to the man. I mean, the Pharisees are just so aggravated by this entire thing, which is so awesome. But what's really interesting, and we'll kind of get into this, is, you know, this pagan god, this Asclepius. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a, a really cool rabbit hole. And again, it's not unlike the teaching from John 3 when Jesus references, when he's, teach, when he's talking to Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. It reminds him the story of Moses in the Israelites and the the um, the bronze serpent mm -hmm. on a pole. 
So here we are, John 5, two chapters later. It's, it's coming back up, and specifically because of this pool is named after Asclepius. And if you look up Mr. Asclepius, it's a picture of him uh, holding a bronze serpent on a pole. Uh, it's unbelievable. What do you think? I mean, it's like Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. He, he literally walks to this place to find this guy who's been sitting by this pagan pool, whose God, uh, would, the, the, the image of the God would have been there. So here comes Jesus, who is the serpent on a pole. This guy doesn't know who Jesus is. So he just looks on Jesus and Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. So, you know, I mean, there was no hocus pocus. There's no David Blaine. There's no, you know, there's no antics. It's just pick up your mat and walk. And he did. The idea that Jesus did that was like, I mean, he was, this was so punk rock, but it was so, that's why the Old Testament so matters so much because it's not that we did away with it. He just fulfilled it all. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled the law, the thing that we couldn't do. And what was striking to me as I went down the rabbit hole, we talked about it, but we talked about it with me being a little ignorant of it, which is not something I enjoy being. <laughs> I, you know, I'm thinking of serpent on a pole that our modern medical symbols were representative of Moses. Right. But that is not, where, the, that is not the history of that. It got hijacked, it got hijacked by culture, made it their own and made it a God. That is a false hope. The original Hippocratic oath is an oath of uh, Hippocrates, but the, Asclepius is meant, is in the original Hippocratic Oath. This was a, a Greek thing that was brought forward into our modern era. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, like when I saw that and I literally, I stood up from my chair because I was like, I this, is un this is crazy to me that here we are 2,000 years after Jesus thinking we would never lay, we'd never put our mat for 38 years by a, a voodoo temple or a uh, a hippo, you know, uh, Asclepius pool, healing pool. And for two and a half years, we, we had an entire country putting our mat by a pool of medical promises that, you know, did they lie or were they just wrong? The, the results were still the same. Everything we were promised, there this new miraculous vaccine that was going to save the world and it, you're not going to have transmit the virus. It's going to, we're all going to get back to work again. Billions of dollars are spent on this thing only to find out that it works for maybe a month or two and you still transmit the virus. And we're, we're, so we had a, a nation who put a mat beside a pool with a serpent on a pole with a serpent that did not deliver on the promises, just like this guy did 2,000 years ago. Bingo. <laughs> so good. We looked up some stats on prescription drug expenditures in the U.S. Just curious, like, okay, you know, there's all this talk of big pharma and big this and big that. Um but it's a, it's, a, it's a thing. Like, this is actually happening. Um, in 1960, as far back as it, that they have the stats, in 1960, the pharmaceutical industry, it had, it was, it 10X'd. Um, in the year 2000, it was a $122 billion industry. And in just 20 years later, which is as far as the stats go, 
it is now triple that. It's a $350 billion a year industry. Which would probably not include Pfizer vaccine numbers from the last two and a half years. It would not include that. What's remarkable to me about this is you have to separate out the idea of what a medical doctor is. And we have, we have medical professionals in our church family, in our circle of friends who do amazing work. The, the work of a medical professional is separated from a medical industrial complex that thrives on financial. And it, I've had a front row seat to this for most of my life, including now into the last 25 years of, of my marriage. You know, that we live in a country that um, spends more on medical than any other country anywhere. We don't have the, the best results by any means. And it's like, you know, well, how do you solve this? And the government has said, well, we'll, we'll solve it by, you know, uh, with, with, with Obamacare. We'll solve it by giving, you know, medical insurance to everyone. And, and now what I've seen in the last 12 years is I've seen a medical policy. And again, it was the same kind of thing. You can keep, if you, you love your doctor, you can keep your doctor. It was, it, just, it was more promises that they couldn't keep. Another serpent on a pole. And so we end up with policies that cost more money, that give you less coverage. And it didn't solve the ultimate problem that they were trying to solve to begin with, which was to help people who need health care. And, and to, to, you know, to over, I don't want to get into the weeds too deeply, but at like 1986, 87, my oldest brother, Dale, was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which at the time, nobody, nobody really knew what that was. And and you know we we were poor we didn't have any money you know so we were on government assistance when it came to to medical and and I'm thankful for it we we had there would have been no other way for him to have gotten treatment for that and what I'm not thankful for is here it is 30 some years later and he is and I verified this with him this morning so the government backs the medication that he gets. And when the government backs it, in just the last two years, this medication has, and I can't remember what it's called, but has jumped from 15000 every three months, which, by the way, is wickedly expensive. Five grand a month. Yeah. But now it's fifty grand. Oh, my word. So he's allowed to go and work. And every time they raise minimum wage, he's, he can't, he has to work fewer hours. $400 a, a week or $400 a month? Every month. Now they will, because he makes $400 a month, they will give him another $800 in a disability payment. So he's at $1,200 a month, but that comes from the government too. Instead of saying, hey, you know, this guy can work, let's let him work. He wants to work and we'll still give him medical, but they won't. So he's at $400 a month and then the government gives him another $800 a month so that he can get this wow. medical treatment. He's 53 years old and... This is like literally it is forcing him into poverty to stay in poverty so the government can provide for him. Meanwhile, the pharmaceutical company keeps jacking up the prices because the government keeps paying it and a serpent on a pole making a promise it can't deliver. You know, this reminds me of an article I read this week about the idea of them rolling out a um, a test program in Europe, in England for UBI. This is another term everybody's going to have to start learning. UBI, universal basic income. It's being tested. 
And um, the new guy over there, the new prime minister, Rishi Sunak, is all about this. Um, We've talked about him, I think, last week, actually. He's a guy to watch, Rishi Sunak. Um, And so, yeah, this UBI idea, it's another World Economic Forum concept, (gasps) is this basic idea that there is a universal income, that there's a set amount that the government gives you to use uh, for, you know, to live. Um, and I don't know how they structure this, but they, they, they've got a formula, right? And so it's is all going to tie into this idea of a digital ID into your digital currency so that they can regulate, okay, your brother um, needs X amount for groceries, needs X amount for pharmaceuticals, and it's all controlled <laughs> by a central government. These are these are things. These aren't even conspiracies anymore. I, I I'm so over <clears throat> that word. Um, just research it, and you can read and find. But this is something that's going to start rolling out in England. Well, it, I'll tell you, it's already rolled out in America on True. Indian reservations. Oh wow, yeah. And you know, the the there's no question that just like any other country, our country uh, had some made bad decisions and did, did horrible things as, as we unfolded our country. And so our solution was, we're going to pay them now, their descendants, X amount of dollars per month. Reparations. Yep. And what it has done, and, and if you have been to a res, you know this. They, they it, it, Not only did it not do good, it actually – the two poorest countries, counties in the United States are like the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Um, when you drive onto a reservation, for the most part, the ones I've been on, which are in Arizona, Montana, South Dakota, you literally feel like you've gone into a third world country because they can get X amount of dollars to stay there, universal basic income. They have to stay in the same house, you know, so the, what you see is like a bunch of dumpy old cars and or dumpy old houses and dumpy like trash everywhere, but really nice cars in the driveway because they, they have to stay there. And, and it did, what it does is it doesn't, I mean, I can say this, I grew up on government assistance. The, the town I grew up in, the, 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 you know, in some ways it's actually a badge of honor to be declared disabled because you get your check, but there's no motivation to to work to so you you're trying to solve a problem but you create a huge bigger problem with it I was having a conversation on Saturday with a guy from LA who was you know pretty lit up about all this money that we send overseas and what if we need to throw more money like we don't need to throw more money at LA they've, they've thrown more money in California at the homeless problem in California than any place else in the United States and it's gotten worse not better so it isn't about money you know, money is a tool, but it doesn't solve it. And so when you take it back to what you know, the serpent on a pole with healthcare, putting your mat by that, there are medications that are, they are, they feel like they're miraculous in some of the things that, that happen. But because of the way the system has been set up, you know, a doctor, uh, you know, is being wined and dined by a pharmaceutical rep and they get more bonus points if they prescribe this medication. This is not an unknown. This is the business model. So they're going to prescribe stuff, and, and like and just to say this, like for children, the amount of Adderall, Ritalin that is focused on you, literally medicating a child, and for the most part, like I know guys, I won't say their names, but I know guys in town. They're like, dude, they're just pill shops. 
And by the way, right now, I don't know if you know this or not, Mo, but one of the things the pandemic did is there are there are online doctor sites. They're literally a pharmaceutical company, and they will hook you. So if you right now, um, I won't say any of the names because I'm going to give them the the the, the airtime. But I say that I have depression or anxiety, whatever. I just type it in. I literally never have to speak to somebody, and some doctor or RN whatever is on somewhere that they've contracted out, and will write you a prescription. Wow. Over literally and mail it to your door. And this is everything from erectile dysfunction to anxiety, depression. You don't have to talk to anybody. And they will mail you these things and put you on a It's not black market. No, no. This it's is a, just out in the open. I mean, just anonymous. When you're watching, pay attention when you're watching between the pharmaceutical ads selling the medications themselves, there's now pharmaceutical, they're basically pharmacies slash doctors where it's a one stop shop. Mm-hmm. Um, you type in your thing, you tell them your problem, some doctor reads this, and I, I'm sure they've got some deal where they're paying them X amount of dollars per oh, yeah. patient. Quotas. And you get your, you know, you get your uh, anxiety medicine or your depression medicine or whatever it is you're looking for. And so people are self-diagnosing themselves and then calling these places. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and it's, it's such a balance because I want to say that there are medications that are needed and that are important and I mean, children right now die in Africa because they have no access to something as simple as a modium. Okay, so I believe in medication. More children will die of diarrhea this year than of COVID or malaria or anything combined because they simply didn't have access to some kind of a medication to keep them hydrated when they were have dysentery. And on the other hand, you know, like for instance, with the the, the vaccine, if Pfizer really cared about saving the world, they could have given that stuff away all over Africa. Right. But they didn't because they didn't care about that. They had a profit margin and they had financial obligations. And so it was the serpent on a pole when it's the system um, is still here and it's still alive and well. And we shouldn't be surprised when it's being preached as a religion more than as medicine because it is a religion. And if you work in the pharmaceutical business, more power to you. I, I don't know your business model. I don't know. But. Uh, I, I know in our community that we've, we've, uh, there's a lot of people that work in the pharmaceutical business here. Uh, and, and a lot of people walking around with new hips and new shoulders that they, you know, that they couldn't have had before. So it's not all bad. It's just the system of putting your mat by that system that's going to leave you restless and isolated. And 38 years later, you're still laying there. These are two podcasts I'm going to recommend that I don't think I would ever have thought about being paired up against each other <laughs> because it's so, so bizarre, but they do tie together. Um, I think I've mentioned this one before. It's the Naked Bible podcast, which is Michael Heiser, which I- I'm so jealous of very the name much. The Naked Bible. Like I, uh, <laughs> why does he get to, he came up with that before we did. The oh, Naked well. Bible podcast with Michael Heiser, um, Numbers 21. He has a Numbers 21 breakdown, which is where the Moses serpent on a pole um, story is from. It's really good and really insightful. It talks about um, really the, the, the importance, the, sim, the symbolism of the serpent and what that would have meant to the Israelites at the time. It's uh, maybe a little different than you would have, you would think. Definitely recommend that particular podcast to do like a super deep dive into the serpent on the pole. Um, and then also, again, wouldn't normally recommend this, but given the topic, 
a Joe Rogan uh, episode, 1873, um, episode number 1873, with Brigham Bueller. You've listened to that podcast. I, I know we've, yeah. we've gone back and forth with it. But Brigham Bueller does a pretty, a really good job um, of exposing the behind the scenes of Big Pharma because he was one of them. And uh, he talks a lot about kind of the same, some of the topics that we're talking about, people putting their hope in um, into pharma. And um, it's very insightful, very helpful. When the Bible in the, in the New Testament refers to f uh, witchcraft, it uses the word pharmakia, which is where we get our word pharmacy from. And, and so is, you know, it's historically, uh, I would have taught or thought that it was only speaking about, um, what we would consider illegal, illicit drug use. And, and yes, it would have included that things like ayahuasca or mind altering, which were very much part of their culture. And I might add, and the reason I'm bringing this up specifically, uh, because of guys like Rogan, they're all into this right now. Yeah, Everybody uh, from Theo Vaughn to Joe Rogan are talking <laughs> about uh, ayahuasca as a, or different versions, right? As, um, uh, and they would have considered that medical. And so but the Bible is very specific warnings about it. And, it, you know, and look, I, I could get super deep and people might get a little like weirded out, but I don't know if it's because it's the thing that the, the veil between us and the, and the spiritual world that it somehow peels it apart. But I've been in a, I've been in an Indian reservation and I've seen what these, what happens in these little um, practices when they're doing this stuff. And it's like, I mean, I, I'd never tried it, but I saw the results of it and there's some wild stuff and dark stuff that, that, that comes from it. But, and so I say that to say that I don't think that it just includes just illicit or illegal, like crack cocaine, you know, because that, that, in the 80s, especially 90s, it's pharmakia. So if you're smoking weed, you're, you know, it's pharmakia. Uh, but the way that it was used in Greco-Roman, specifically Asclepius and with, with Paul, that culture he would have been referring to, that using, putting your mat, so to speak, by something that you're trying to get your hope out of in, into a system of is, is, is the pharmakia thing. And so for Again, I feel like I have to reiterate it because of where we live that I have no problem with medicine. I just got a problem with a system that is government side where it's keeping people poor, keeping them broke. I have no trouble with capitalism. Uh, it's, it's, to this day, it's not perfect, but it has brought more people out of poverty than any system in history. But somewhere there's a moral line that gets crossed and it's it's not about I don't think it's about forcing a, a government force onto a pharmaceutical company I don't think it's a government anything I just think it's for us as believers and followers of Jesus to be smart enough to know just like with student loans when a system is designed to entrap you and to keep you paralyzed by a pool and to avoid that at all costs that was just the first part of chapter five, <laughs> the first few verses of chapter five, where do you see this leading um, this next week? Well, this coming Sunday, um, 
we get Jay Warner Wallace doing both services, uh, leading apologists from across across the nation. So I'm super stoked about that. But we're going to come back from that um, to the authority of the Son, the authority of, of Jesus, because the, the, <laughs> the Pharisees are like, all right, so you violated the law. This guy, Jesus, said you could do this. Who is? Who are you? Who do you think you are that you can tell him to violate this law? And that's where we're going to go with Jesus. Who, do, who does he think he is? Who do you think you are, Jesus? Uh, not who do we think he is. Not as who does Andy Stanley think he is. But who does Jesus think he is? Uh, and he's going to tell us right here. That's good. Yeah, if you're listening to this again on a Wednesday, November 9th, 2022, we are having a Jay Warner Wallace um, come speak on this Sunday along with some of his friends just to have a, a conversation um, around the topic of apologetics. And so he'll be here in the, in the morning. We are having an evening session as well. as And again, also, Monday, noon to four, for specifically artists, creatives, influencers, um, those that are impacting culture. Um, Jay and his team are going to be sharing some some tips and some tricks and some insight as to how we should influence culture from a biblical worldview. Both of those events um, are on our website that you can sign up for, conduitchurch.com. Just click the events tab. All the information is there. There is still room available for you to join us for those. It's going to be a really fun weekend um, to be able to have those guests join us and talk about some things that are super important right now in our culture. 